Well, God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. There are so many times in my life that I see all the good things that you give to me, and I just am so overwhelmed by how loving and caring and giving and good you are. And God, we're all grateful for that. And God, uh, we thank you so much for the nation that we live in. I was just kind of adding it up, and on this Wednesday, God, we'll celebrate 236 years as a nation, um, a nation that has more freedoms than almost uh, any country. Well, it does. It has more than any other country uh, in the rest of the world. And God, we thank you for that, and we thank you for the sacrifices that many men and women have made. And I was just thinking of a couple of families in our church who uh, their husbands are going to be deported, or or not deported, but deployed uh, in the next uh, few, um, the next few months. And uh, God, we we want to pray for them. And uh, we ask that you would be with the Thomas and the Felton family um, as uh, they head off to protect us. And we pray that as a church family, we'd know how to care for their family while they're gone. And God, we uh, thank you so much for the freedoms that you give to us that are uh, so rich. And uh, we just ask, God, that you would uh, continue to bless us. And God, we're mindful, too, of so many countries throughout this world who um, are under tyranny right now. Or there are more people dying of AIDS. And God, we pray for your peace to come. And that as a a people in the richest nation in the world, that we would know how to show your love to them. Uh, God, help us now to give generously to your kingdom cause. We pray that the gifts that are received today would bless our community and touch lives so that your name would be made great. Come Holy Spirit now. Fill us with your passion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, passion is all around us. In fact, every single person uh, in this gym this morning is passionate about something. Some of you are very passionate about sports. Others of you are passionate about shopping. Some of you are passionate about The Bachelorette. You wonder what Emily is going to do, don't you? And you're passionate about that. We also can be passionate about other people, whether it's our family or our friends or uh, our kids. But perhaps there is no other time when we see passion displayed the most than when... uh, a man or a woman uh, romantically proposes to their soon-to-be spouse. Maybe that proposal comes in an original song that the guy writes telling his future bride how much he loves her and wants her to marry him. Or maybe it's that ring that is hidden in the dessert and you take them out to eat and you hope they don't eat that. Um, But, you know, it's in there. Or maybe it's at Lucas Oil Stadium that you spend the money to put up on the big Jumbotron screens. Um, Linda, will you marry me? 
Now, I don't claim to be the most romantic man in the world, but I thought when I proposed to my wife, Jennifer, that I was just hitting it out of the park. Because I spent so much time and energy and passion uh, figuring it all out. And what seemed to be like a home run, folks, to be honest, it was a strikeout. Um, Let me tell you about that story. I'd just gotten back from an interview where I had uh, been asked to interview for a pastor position in a small little community called Flora, Indiana, where there are more hogs than people. And... uh, They actually, after the interview, they extended an offer to me, and I accepted it. And I thought, this is the moment. So I got back to Jen's apartment where we went to college at, and I walked in, and I was mad and angry, and I kind of faked cried a little bit, you know. Men that even fake cried will get women, you know, to just kind of like, hey, you're, you know, you're really emotional. I'm great. You know, you have a pulse. That's great, you know, to kind of see that. And so I walked up her stairs and I threw my keys down and I started telling her about how I didn't get the job, even though I did, and uh, how I didn't know why they were treating me like that. And I started going off and I had a temper tantrum better than any two-year-old ever. And I wanted to confuse her so she didn't think that this was the time that I was going to pop the question. Finally, I was talking to her, and I'm like, let's just get out of here. Let's go to our place that we usually talk. And during college, during our dating years, uh, whenever we would get in an argument or we'd have issues or struggles with parents or whatever, we would go to a little place and we would talk. We would uh, connect and kind of work it out. And this was uh, the first church that my dad had ever pastored at, and it was a small little country church that set up on a hill, and right behind it was a cemetery. And on top of that little cemetery, it overlooked uh, cornfields. And it was just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. And so we get in the car and we head out to see this gorgeous view. Now, you know, going to a cemetery and uh, working out your issues when you're dating is one thing. But what idiot proposes to his wife in a cemetery? Me. I'm the idiot. And I jump out of the car, and I'm still kind of, you know, ranting and raving a little bit, and Jennifer doesn't get out of the car. She stays in the car. And I'm like, stop, and I'm... You know, near a gravestone, because they're all around us. And I'm like, get out of the car, and she won't get out. And so finally, I kind of coerce her out, and I get on the knee, and I say, Jennifer, will you marry me? And she said, no. No, I'm joking. (laughs) She said, yes. And then I treated her even more. I took her to Chi-Chi's. It doesn't even exist anymore, you know? And this was the issue, folks. I was passionate about the proposal. I just wasn't very romantic. Now, again, many of us are passionate about our spouse, or we're passionate about our kids, or we're passionate about our family or our friends. But our deepest passion, folks, is intended for God and God alone. 
And this morning, I want to kind of take us uh, through a story that I hope by the end will help all of us to become a little bit more passionate in the way that we worship God. You know, we're in a series on David throughout this summer, and probably no one displayed more passion towards God than David himself. And this morning, we're going to look at a story that is filled with passion. This story is so filled with passion that it should be on a Broadway stage or up on the big screen because there's suspense and there's drama and there's a lot of passion. But before we enter into Act 1, I want to kind of give you a background of what has been leading up to this point. Here's the stage. Let's set it. Back in the days of David, there was a central place where all the people worshipped. It was called the tabernacle. It was kind of like a, a, a portable church or church in a tent. And you can see that this is uh, almost the exact kind of replica of uh, what this would have looked like. And uh, it was simply a tent, and uh, it was placed in the camp. Uh, so that people would know that God was present and that we were to worship him, just like we have churches uh, today. And so wherever the Israelites would travel, the first thing that they would do is they would set up the church tent or the place of worship, the tabernacle. Now, the only problem was that under Saul's rule, that is the first king of Israel, and then David was the second, but under Saul's rule, uh, worship had been totally neglected. In fact, one of the pieces of this uh, whole tabernacle, this place, was the Ark of the Covenant. And it had been captured 30 years before by the Philistines. And uh, they had had it for 30 years. And uh, this Ark of the Covenant was simply a symbol of the presence of God. How many of you remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Yeah. Sure. And uh, that was what this whole thing was about, was this particular um, uh, piece of furniture. Now, Saul and most of his people uh, did not think the ark was that important, or otherwise they would have tried to fight for it within that 30 years. But David, who was the new king now, he reestablished rule, and the first thing that he wanted to do was to get the tabernacle back in the center of Jerusalem and for them to find the Ark of the Covenant, to take it back from the Philistines and to put it in the center of the town. He decided that he wanted it to be the center so that when people walked in Jerusalem, they weren't concerned about David the king, but he wanted everybody to know that the king was the God Almighty. And so they bring this back and they place it there. Now in Exodus 25, uh, it's real boring reading, but if you want to read it later this week, uh, it gives the whole explanation of how they were to care for the ark. And there were meticulous instructions that God gave to Moses on how they were to take care of it. And uh, if we pull it back up again, the ark, just to keep it up for a second... Um, what you'll see is that it's simply a box, it's a wooden box, and it stands about four feet long and a little over two feet high. And it was constructed with wood and then it was overlaid with pure gold all around it. And inside the ark um, was the tablets 
uh, of stone where the Ten Commandments were inscribed on both of it, a jar of manna, because during the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, they were out in the middle of the desert, they didn't have food, so God rained down this bread or this manna for them, so a jar of that, and then Aaron's rod. Aaron was the first priest or the high priest of Israel, and so his rod was in there as well. And the ark, and you can kind of see it, on the very end it had these four rings. And they would take these poles and they would put them between the two rings on each end of it. And uh, that's how they would carry it. Now, the ark, folks, was not a magic box. That's what many people, I think, fall into. The people of Israel were not taught that this was the source of God or they'd simply be worshiping a box. But it was simply um, the place that reminded people of the power and the presence of God. And God clearly stated uh, how the priests were to handle this particular uh, uh, furniture. And the poles were to be carried on their shoulders. And no priest was to ever touch it or to handle it. Now, the ark was so sacred that... um, it actually said in the instructions that if you touched it or if you even looked at it, um, you would die. And so there's all these instructions to the priests of how they are to take care uh, of the ark. Now, David knew that the people had been ignoring God for a long time. They had been drifting away from connecting with God. And their hearts had drifted. And many of the leaders had thrown away Exodus 25 with all the instructions, and they were just trying to be their own God, or they were going to switch the instructions around. And that brings us to Act 1, where we find out this, that Uzzah dies because he was trying to control God. Uzzah dies because he was trying to control God. Now, I appreciate all of you staying with me so far on the ark piece, but some of you are like, Uzzah, I've never heard that before. Well, we know some of you are pregnant right now, and we wanted to give you a name, uh, just in case uh, you thought you needed that. So Uzzah uh, was this guy's name. And you might ask, well, who was Uzzah, and uh, why was he trying to control God? Well, let's look at the story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, and uh, you can follow along as I read. So there's the background, and then we come to 2 Samuel 6. David again brought together all the young people of Israel, 30,000. And he and all of his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, 
Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. So as David comes, he doesn't just gather a small group to get the ark. He has 30,000 warriors. They head to the village where the ark had been uh, collecting and had been there for 30 years. They found out where it was. And the main character of this whole thing is Uzzah, who's the priest. And he's the priest who is responsible for caring for the ark. In other words, all of the instructions that were in Exodus, he was to follow to a T. Now, just get this scene. The house is up on a hill. And David and all the people are having this huge celebration because they haven't really worshipped God for almost 30 years. Just think about that. No church for 30 years, and then all of a sudden, we have church. I have a feeling that some of you would remember and you'd be like, now it's time to really worship God. And all the people were playing instruments and celebrating. And Uzzah and his family had placed the ark on a cart. Now, the instructions say, never put it on a cart, basically. But they think we're going downhill, so we need a cart. And then in verse 6, we learn that the oxen start to stumble a little bit. And Uzzah reached out to try to, you know, keep the ark from falling. And then, whammo! Uzzah is Uzzo gone! I mean, he's just done! He just wipes out right there beside the ark. Now, this was a huge shock. This would be like... When we are doing communion here, and we usually have four tables that are around, and people are dispensing, you know, the bread, and let's say that somebody drops the bread. And on that particular day, God just says, you drop the bread, you're dead. Now, if that happened here at the jar, everyone would be shocked. They'd be like, I never want to touch the bread again, you know? Because that's basically what's happened here. Now, in verse 7... We're told that the Lord was angry because of Uzzah's what? What's it say? His irreverent act. Now this stunned David. This stunned everybody. I mean, what's the big deal? He was just trying to make sure that the ark didn't bust in pieces. What was so irreverent about that? And you know, as I was studying this uh, over this week, I kept thinking, God is being mean here. He's being malicious. I mean, you know, it just fell. The guy was actually trying to help it not, you know, fall down. Why was God acting like that? Well, I read uh, from a commentary this week by a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson. And he helped me kind of understand this story a little bit better. He expressed that Uzzah's action was not just a mistake of the moment. But more than likely, it was just a piece of his long obsession of being the one who was responsible for the ark. You ever have those people before in work that they get some title or they get something and they get obsessed with it? 
And it's all about them. And they start changing things. Well, this was Uzzah. Uzzah thought that he was more important than anyone else because he was taking care of the ark. And when he changed the rules, God wasn't very happy. You see, when you change the rules and you say, God, whatever rules that you have, I don't like those so much. Let me switch them here a little bit. Or you just walk away and ignore them altogether. God isn't so hip to that. In fact, God gave the instructions to Uzzah, and Uzzah's like, God, those were good instructions, but they're old. They're out of date. They're not as timely. I can make this more efficient. I can make it more effective if we use a cart. And I want you guys to get this this morning. God is a loving God who loves us no matter what. But He is a God, folks, that will not be managed. You can't manage God. God is God and you are not. And you cannot manage Him or control Him to be what you want Him to be. You see, I think in some ways, Uzzah kind of thought the ark was like a genie in the bottle. That if he just kept God inside there and did things the way that he wanted to, that there would not be any issue whatsoever. But God gave the instructions. And Uzzah disobeyed. You see, folks, the ark was never to be transported on a cart. It was to be transported on what? The shoulders of those who were Levites. In other words, the priests. Only them were the ones that were to carry that. And you see, ultimately, what Uzzah does is he doesn't revere God and the power of who God is, and he does his own plan. And Uzzah's whole life, folks, was supposedly focused on God. And it was when it came to, you know, all his duties. But when it came to his heart, he was very far away. You know, this kind of erosion, folks, that happens to our hearts is not just for Uzzah, but it's for you and I too. We can easily become uh, people that don't show appropriate reverence or love or awe to God. I often think when we first kind of follow God, we, we want to follow everything. I remember when I was first baptized, I wanted to read the whole Bible. I got to Genesis 5, and I never read again for the next four years. And we get so excited, and we want to follow the commands. But then all of a sudden, we, we change them around. We stop caring about what God cares about. And we basically try to manage our own affairs, and then we let God in on it of what we're doing. We don't want to mess with uh, any of the details of obedience, so we just kind of do the overall arching thing. And we forget about putting the poles through the holes and carrying it on our shoulders. You know, I don't know about you, but I really can relate to Uzzah a lot. Because there are some times in my life in which I don't like to follow the small details. Sometimes I just don't obey all the way. A couple of weeks ago, my wife Jennifer uh, set up us to get yellow fever shots because we're going to Kenya uh, on July 15th. And remember on the 15th, we have our soda pop Sunday. And so uh, bring a dollar or two, and uh, we can save the life of an orphan for simply $500. That's kind of our goal. But uh, 
we have to get a yellow fever shot because yellow fever is in Kenya, and if you don't get a yellow fever shot, you could get it. And so uh, Jennifer set all this up. She let me know when the date was. I put it in my phone. Everything was good to go. The only problem was the morning of the shots, I totally forgot that I was supposed to go to the health department. And so uh, she called in the morning, and I picked up the phone, and she kind of had a confrontive tone to her. And she said, where are you? And I'm thinking, I don't have to put up with this. And so this is how I responded. I said, where do you think I am? I'm taking care of your two kids. Was there something wrong with that? (laughs) I'm an idiot. I really am. And she said, well, we, we have to get the shots this morning, Chris. I told you. Now, I had a choice, folks, in that moment. Obey God in the small things in life or blame my wife. Guess what I did? I blamed my wife. I said, I know you told me, but why didn't you tell me last night when we were talking about the next day? You could have told me then. And so I get in the car. I rush towards the county uh, nurse and uh, to the health department. And while I'm driving, all of a sudden, I just feel, not words, but a prompting from God saying, Chris, you need to apologize. Why are you blaming her? It's not her responsibility. You just messed up. You need to apologize. So I went in. I got my shot. She got hers. We're walking uh, out into the parking lot. And I just said, hey, Jen, I said, I'm sorry. Um, I just totally blanked this today. It was all my fault. Then she smiled. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, when we mess up, it's imperative that we fess up. The Bible says this. Admit your faults to one another so that you may be healed. Admit your faults to one another, so that you may be healed. I could have continued to try and blame Jen, that, you know, why did you do it in the morning? You know, whatever that was. And bitterness could have gotten to our relationship, and things could have been really bad. And I'm not a saint. There are some times in which I go down that blame road. I really do. Or you could stop being stubborn and you could simply get the poles out and say, man, I forgot to put the poles in between the two rings. And you admit to God that it was your fault. Now, when do you think that you and I are most like Uzzah? When everything in our life is going great? It's whenever we pick to just simply choose what commands we're going to obey and what ones we're not going to obey. Ones that we just kind of politely ignore. Or whenever you kind of reduce God to a box and you just say, you're there, God, it's convenient, I'm doing the church thing, I'm, uh, you know, going to a small group, I'm doing all the duty stuff, you stay there. Folks, it's so important that we understand that worship without obedience is not worship at all. 
We cannot gather to praise God and to lift Him up on songs if throughout the entire week we're not having hearts that are transformed and shaped to be obedient to God even in the details. The greatness of God, folks, is so great that He really does call us to follow all the things. And if we intend to follow Him, we have to follow Him with an obedient heart. Well, that's Act 1. Uzzah dies. Here's Act 2. David dances because of the joy of the Lord that was in his heart. David dances because of the joy of the Lord that was in his heart. Now remember, David calls everyone together, 30,000 people, maybe more than that. And he says, we're going to get the ark. But he reminds everybody this time, let's follow all the rules. No one wants to die, right? So let's follow all the rules. And so they get Exodus out, they look at it, and they're like, okay, we're going to follow this to a T. And then in verse 12 it says this, So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, Jerusalem, with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Now, why is that important? Because that's what God said to do. (laughs) You don't question God on that. Now, the other guy was trying to get an ark down a hill. Every six steps, they would stop. This is a long trip, but they would stop, and they would make a sacrifice to God. Wearing a linen ephod, because that was in there too, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. David was dancing with all of his might before God. And there was singing and shouting and there was, you know, the sound of trumpets. And in his obedience, as he's obeying God and they're doing everything right, he is like free. You see, sometimes we think that following the rules makes us choked or, you know, puts us in a prison. Actually, following the the rules, folks, actually gives us more freedom. And David set out to do this. David was filled with passion for the Lord. I mean, David was the king, but he let her rip. You know what I mean? It's like he's the first person that's getting jiggy with it. You know what I mean? And he's dancing. Now let me ask you this morning, what keeps you from dancing? What keeps you from dancing? Well, for some of us, we don't dance or worship God the way that We want to because we're afraid that if we do, we'll look foolish. And it keeps us from dancing. Maybe for others of us, it's the fear that we might not be doing it right. We may not be worshiping God the right way. And I just want you to know this morning, folks, that worshiping God is like a dance. It's a dance between you and the Creator, the one who created you. Worship is not about a style of music. It's about a lifestyle that you choose to live. Worship is the most natural thing that you and I can do because we were created to do it. We were created to worship God. 
And it must be heartfelt and genuine and emotional. And just as Uzzah did not die all of a sudden, David just didn't learn how to dance just in that moment. You see, Uzzah was doing careless things all the way leading up to this, but David, leading up to everything, was learning how to worship God. When he was a shepherd boy and he was out with the shepherd, he said, God, you're my shepherd. You're the great shepherd. When he kills Goliath, he says, you are the one who is strong. You are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my savior. The Psalms uh, reveal so much of how God understood David, but more importantly, how David understood God. And he would write about it because of this closeness of relationship. David's expression in public then was simply, uh, you know, what he was experiencing privately. He only did in public what he was doing privately with God in his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a real challenge for me to turn my mind on to God throughout my day. It's hard for me to get my mind and my thoughts on God throughout the day, especially if it's a real busy day. I mean, I can get so easily consumed with my family. I can get consumed with work, with worldly things. And you know, it just seems like lately that I've been spending so much time in the car uh, going to places. And typically, when I'm in the car, I turn it to 1340 or 1070 the fan. Now, What those two radio stations are, are sports talk radio. I love sports. I listen to them. I listen to them saying all kinds of controversial things. I love it. But this is what I've learned recently. That both of those stations, nothing wrong with them whatsoever, but it doesn't turn my mind and my heart toward God. So recently, I've been taking CDs, worship CDs, Songs We Sing Here, And I'll pop them in. I'll just start listening to them. And last Sunday, I was driving to the office. And to be honest, I wasn't feeling God very much. I'd spent an hour praying and reading the Bible. Got nothing out of that whatsoever. And as I'm uh, actually driving, I pulled in one of those CDs. And it was a song that we sing here called Forever Rain. It's in your program if you want to get it. And it's only four minutes from my house to the office. And I put it in, and these were the lyrics that came out. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. And nothing compares to your embrace. And I just sensed in that moment that God was embracing me and giving me confidence and encouraging me. And folks, it's so important for us to choose to think about God intentionally. Another thing I do sometimes is I'll pull my cell phone out, and on the hour I'll set the alarm. And so when it goes off, I just think about God. Now, how do you think about God? This is typically what I do. I spend less than a minute, and I'll say, God, thank you so much for getting me through this past hour, and I'll say a couple things. And then I'll say, God, help me through this next hour. Jennifer, my uh, administrative assistant, and does all of our children's ministry stuff, she laughs all the time because all of a sudden you'll hear this, beep, 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 that's your phone, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking about God, Uh, you know, that kind of thing. But 
throughout the day that you would just think about God. It's so important to do. You know, David was fully alive towards God. He was always focused on Him. His relationship with God was trusting and daring and enthusiastic and open. Now, David flubbed up, he messed up, he screwed up a lot in his life with a lot of different things. But David definitely loved his heavenly father. David's uh, whole passion was worship. And he did it with emotion. In fact, true worship, folks, to God, I don't think can happen if it doesn't have some emotion to it. Our response to him has to have not just our minds, but our feelings as well. And we engage in a full range of emotions when we worship God. This past week was our kids' camp, and uh, it was a wonderful week. Our kids uh, grew so much from 6 to 8. They would come, learn about Jesus and God and and how to give their lives uh, to Him and grow uh, closer to Him. And every single day they would have this corporate worship. Now, my job was simply to be the substitute for the preschool class, which was basically make sure they don't hit each other. And uh, I did that. But when corporate worship came, they stopped, like, messing around, and they would just start dancing. They'd start dancing. There was a little kid by the name of Lincoln. And Lincoln could not read the words. He could not sing to the songs. But he could dance. And he just started dancing more and more and more. And it just impressed upon me that when I looked at him, that what Lincoln was doing at the deepest place that he knew how, he was worshiping God. At a deep place in his soul, he was worshiping the one who had created him, even though he couldn't read about the one who created him. You know, God calls for us to worship him with our whole being. In fact, Scripture describes multiple different postures of worship to God. It talks about standing, kneeling, clapping our hands, lifting our hands, laying prostrate. And I didn't say the other one for you guys who've experienced that exam before. Okay? But lifting our head, bowing our head, dancing. You know, many of us need to know that it's okay to have physical expression in worship. I mean, I have seen so many of you at sporting events, and you will raise your hands towards the referees, or you will raise your hands to do the wave. In fact, let's do the wave right now. We're starting on this side. Okay, you're going to stand up and you're going to do the wave. And as I walk across, everyone's going to do the wave, and then we're going to stop... And then we're going to do it this way, okay? Say that you really did something cool at church today. Hallelujah. All right. So we're going to start on this side. When I, when I go like this, okay, we'll do it kind of slower. You'll hit each other. But you're going to stand up and do the way. Some of you are not very excited about this at all. <laughs> Physical expression of worship, okay? So here we go. We're going to start on this side. Here we go. Now, if you don't do it, then there we go. Okay, now let's come back the other way. Look at that. You just did the wave at church. Whoa. Let me get on in here. 
One of my buddies, I won't point him out, but he's sitting in the back. And right now he's just sitting there going, oh, my gosh. You know. Maybe more people than that. I don't know. When you go to rock concerts, I bet you guys don't just stand there. I bet you move. You start clapping. You're like, yeah. I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert one time. And, I mean, it was wild. These same people come to church and they're like this. My goal for some of you is that within a decade, you'll just be able to go like this. Maybe another decade, some of you would go like this. You know what I mean? But folks, you go to all these events, and you do wild, crazy things. And we come each Sunday to worship the Creator of the world. And you don't have more to give than you do at a football game or a rock concert. Something has to change. And it's not about us getting all emotional and hyped up, although that's important. But it's our hearts that we would recognize that this is holy time when we come to worship our God. Now, I admit that if you start doing physical expression in worship, that there may be some risks to that. A couple of months ago, my wife Jennifer and I were sitting right over here. And I had my eyes closed, and I knew the words to the song, and I'm singing it, and I'm singing it, and I'm singing it. And all of a sudden, I just go, whoa, like that to God. Jennifer's standing right here. Bam! Hit her right in the head. I'm sure people behind me were like, what kind of pastor is he? He beats his wife, you know? (laughs) Folks, worshiping uses our whole bodies, but it's worth it. Because the alternative is to die like Uzzah. And none of us want to end up like that. You know, I think that God looked at David as he danced, and he loved the fact that he was the king, but he was so passionate towards God. And I want to have a heart like that. I really do. I want to have a heart more like Lincoln who's willing to dance before anyone and everyone, even though he doesn't know the words, because he's just into God. And I don't want to get to the end of my life, and when I get to my tombstone, and there's a whole bunch of, you know, somber people there, I hope they celebrate because I had celebrated a life that was given to God in worship to him. So Act 1, Uzzah dies. Act 2, David dances. And Act 3, Michael despises David because she was concerned about her image. She despises David because she's concerned about her image. Verse verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him. In her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites both men and women, and all the people 
went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from your house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You see, folks, Michael watches her husband dance and sing and shout from an upstairs window we know earlier. And the king's wife looks down and says, the king shouldn't be acting like that. That's inappropriate. She thought, you are to be a king. That's not very kingly. And Michael was simply embarrassed by the enthusiasm that David showed. And it was filled with disrespect. I mean, just imagine that. David walks into his house after he's had this amazing moment of worshiping God for the first time in 30 years, and he walks into his house higher than a kite, thrilled to share his experience, and when he walks in, folks, it's like the party pooper of ever existed as Michael stands there. Michael's sarcastic words, they cut him deep. She accuses him of being vulgar, of disrobing himself. And the reason this happens is because Michael could not feel the passion and the emotion that David had of worshiping the one true God. In fact, in many ways, folks, Michael was as dead as Uzzah in her heart. She could not relate to David's freedom. And like her father Saul, Michael's heart was just cold towards God. Do you realize that you could come here every single Sunday for the rest of this year and the next year and the next decade and your heart can still be cold when you worship God? She mocked David. I just wonder, have you ever acted like Michael before? I have. I've been at places before where I've seen someone worshiping a certain way, and all of a sudden in my, in my head I'm like, that's phony. They're just trying to get attention. And maybe it's a person that's clapping, or it's a person raising their hand, or it's a person dancing. Or maybe we don't think people's worship is very meaningful if they stand there and they're quiet and they're silent. Or they close their eyes. And we all just have a tendency to be tempted the way that Michael was. Or whenever we're more concerned about what others will think rather than what the God of the universe might think if we just let loose and we worship the way that God intended us to worship. It's very easy, folks, for us to fall into the trap that Michael fell into. Folks, when we ever worship God and we don't worship Him with passion, He hates it. He hates it. It's almost like we're going to him and saying, I don't really have much feeling towards you, God. I'm just going to worship the way that I want to. And it's been a bad week, and I'm done. And David made it clear 
that when Michael said, well, don't do it like this, he said, if I have to be humiliated, I'll be even more indignant with my worship. And God wants us to worship like that, folks. He really does. David understood at the depths of his heart that worship was not about him. It wasn't about what he did or what he didn't do, but it was about the God of the universe. Uzzah's eyes were closed because it was all about his agenda. Michael's eyes were on other people. What are they going to think? But David's eyes were completely on the Lord. We're going to close this morning by the band leading us in a song. And I want to give us an opportunity to really be able to worship our God in spirit and in truth. And when we worship, don't look at what other people are doing. Don't worry about what you might feel. But just keep your eyes focused on our great God. Now for some of you, I realize that if you stand up and you worship God in a real risky way this morning, it's going to be like this. That's okay. For others of you, it might be like this. But whatever it is, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. You did the wave in church. I mean, it's not like anything else is going to be too wild, you know. But whatever it is, the freedom that you have to just worship our great God. And what I'd like to do right now is just pray that all of us have some Uzzah and Michael in us, but we want to worship God like David. And so I'll kind of lead us in a time of prayer and then we'll worship and we'll be done. Let's pray. And if you would, why don't you guys stand and and we'll just pray. Heavenly Father, some of us who are standing right now, we're kind of like Uzzah. And uh, we have become uh, stubborn. And have ignored uh, following the instructions that you give to us. God, forgive us for not uh, coming to you with an intention to obey all the way. God, help us to come clean this morning with the things that keep us from fully worshiping you. Others of us who are here this morning, we're more like Michael. We're concerned about what other people think. And sometimes maybe we watch other people who worship freely and we have bad thoughts in our head. We get cynical. We get sarcastic. Father, would you forgive us of that? Many of us are more concerned about our own image than we are of taking risks to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, you are a great and an awesome God. And remind us that worship really is not about us at all, but it's about you. And so I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come, you would fill this place with your presence. Help your people to be people filled with passionate worship so that your name would be made great. Great is our God. 
and greatly is he to be praised. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
God, let's just lift up our voices right here. How great is our God. loved in this place. See you next week.